Hey, this is Neil Mackay, your host of a Vietnam podcast. Now, before we get started on this episode, I wanted to share with you about one of my favorite affiliate partners, and that is Fiverr. I've been using Fiverr for years for everything from ordering YouTube thumbnails to keyword research, writing podcast articles, even to Canva designs and thumbnails and more. So whether you're a budding entrepreneur, a podcaster, or anyone in between, Fiverr has got you covered. It really is the go-to platform if you want to find freelancers offering a massive range of services to help you on any project. Maybe you need a stunning new logo or just a short animation, whatever you need, you can find it on Fiverr. What I love the most is how easy Fiverr makes it to connect with talented freelancers from around the world, all at prices that will fit whatever your budget is. Plus, with Fiverr's secure payment system, you can trust that your transactions are safe and secure. No dodgy people you meet on Facebook groups that disappear with your money and never give you what you want. What, that's only happened to me? As an affiliate partner, I will get a small commission if you use the link and at no extra cost to you. As an affiliate partner, I will get a small commission if you click my link and you buy something, all at no extra cost to you. And best of all, you will be directly supporting the making of this podcast that you're listening to for free, but it is not free to make. So why we head over to somewhere that you've probably never been before. It's called the show notes. So whatever app you're listening in, if it's Spotify or Apple Podcasts or anything at all, head to the show notes, click on my special link, and then you can browse thousands of gigs ready to help you with your next project. And now, let's dive into today's episode. Let's go. This is just a real quick one. I have to apologize if the sound quality, it's not as good as you've had lately. I had my worst nightmare, something that I worry about every episode. I realized about three quarters of the way through that I hadn't pressed the record button properly on the audio recorder. So the microphones we are talking into are absolutely useless. Thankfully, I was recording on video at the same time. So this audio is taken from the audio from the phone. So it's not as good quality as you're probably used to. I've tried my best to play with it. Garrett's tried his best as well. I think it sounds okay. It doesn't sound bad, but it's not as good as it has been lately. So sorry about that. Enjoy this episode though. It is absolutely amazing. Thank you, Marquis, for coming on. And again, apologies. Welcome to season nine of a Vietnam podcast, sharing the stories of people connected to Vietnam. My name is Neil Kai. I've been living in Vietnam since 2016 and I've been hosting this podcast since 2019. I wanted to know more about the people that are connected to Vietnam and share their stories, whether they're Vietnamese or foreigners or VHQ. Now my guest today, he's an American, he's from Washington DC, who served in the Air Force for 10 years and he's been in Vietnam for three and a half. He has the Vietnamese nickname, Da Bro. He organizes video game tournaments and may soon be appearing on TV if he gets his wish here in Vietnam. So today we're going to talk about why he wants to be on TV because he's one of the few expats who's learning Vietnamese full time. We're also going to talk about his military background, 
trying to start a business in Vietnam and learning to enjoy being unproductive. My guest today is Marquise Ryan. Thank you oh, very much. Thank you for that nice introduction. You make me feel good about sitting on my couch and scratching myself for <laughs> three hours prior to coming here. Well, what does that mean, learning to enjoy being unproductive? Because I actually need to do that. I can't right. do that. It's very, very difficult. I talked to like a therapist. It's actually really been like the best ever. I had some a therapist in the military, and they were just like, you know, just um, take some pain pills and just take every day at a time. Remember to practice your breathing. Okay, goodbye. Because it's free, so you know, like you're not gonna get the best care. But this guy was a mind reader, so he told me that you know, being unproductive isn't the worst thing ever. And a lot of people, they see their goals, they see these motivational speakers on YouTube, and they're like, oh man, I need to get that six-pack abs. Uh, you know, I really need to get my business up. So I'm just trying to learn how to, you know, not always go 100%. You know, just relax, enjoy life. And what have been some of the tips then that they've given you to do that? Right. He said to, you know, wake up in the morning and... Well, everybody's going to do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, some people... <laughs> Well, he says, you know, just wake up in the morning, don't stare at your phone, and don't look at all those other motivational people, you know, don't go <laughs> straight into the YouTube thing, you know, just kind of do your own routine, look in the mirror and say, like, hey, I'm doing good, think about all the good things that you're doing, and try to know what you're grateful for, you know, and just be happy to be you. I totally forgot what he told me, but I'm living it. <laughs> no, that's great. I, recently, I heard Connor Kelly talk about it on a podcast, he's uh, the host of the Comeback Show talks a lot about mental health issues and one of the things I really took from what he said was just make your bed every morning and I actually do that and I, I feel I'm quite strong mentally I don't know if I'm strong mentally I just I don't I'm lucky very lucky I don't have huge mental health issues you know I get stressed like everyone I have times I'm down sad don't have huge mental health issues and I don't want to put it all on this one thing but just the fact that he said you know if you are having mental health issues just small things like making your bed every day can make a big difference and I was like it's pretty cool because I do that automatically and I do wonder how much that just helps because I don't like the bed being unmade. It's like the first thing I do when I wake up, just tidy it up, make it nice. Well, I was going to ask if you had a service department, but I'm assuming that you don't because you make your own bed. Well, that's good. That makes you a much better man than most people here. <laughs> um, it was quite funny. We went on holiday recently with my wife and I didn't make the bed at all one day. She's like, why aren't you making the bed? You make it at home every day. And I'm like, because I'm on holiday. You didn't realize like your life is a job. Like they're working, <laughs> I work hard to please you, babe. Like I'm doing my best. <laughs> Just give me a day off. But the learning to be unproductive is good. It's partly why the opposite reason is partly why this podcast started was because I was bold. So if you're a regular listener, you know I've told this story before. I was bold and I was like, well, what should I do with my time? Listen to podcasts. Had this stupid notion like podcasts can't be that difficult. Can't take that long. Can completely consumes my life and it's uh yeah like if you're not watching the video right now you can see marquees is just pointing to all the equipment that i have here so that was why i started and i do sometimes even still especially in the beginning when i was sitting up till three in the morning edit, editing a podcast and i was thinking to myself well what else would i be doing right now i'd just be sitting scrolling reddit or scrolling instagram or something like that but there is part of me that kind of just wants to scroll Reddit and just relax and take some time off. Right. Before this, actually before quarantine, I was like super busy with editing videos for my Saigon Flag Football League that me and my friend Turner like built from the ground. Actually, he did more of the building. I was doing more of the marketing and, you know, getting people excited and bringing new people into the scene. 
And I realized I was eating like 12 hours editing one video and then boom, next week I got to do it again. And then I got to film it and then I got to run around and it was a lot of work. And then once I relinquished, well, when, you know, the gods relinquished my duties with COVID, I was just able to say like, what do I want to do? And uh, yeah, that was starting to learn Vietnamese and become extremely independent in Vietnam. I don't want to depend on somebody else to get me around or talk to the receptionist or do this or do that. I want to just be able to do it all by myself. And then that just morphed into, I want to become fluent. Like, I want to do this all the way. I want to be better than Mika Chu. And I realize that I'll never be better than Mika Chu. I'm sorry, Mika. Yeah. But I wanted to do what Pukwam was doing. He's really uh, inspiration. And uh, yeah, he is hilarious. And he just went in there, was like, I mean, now his Vietnamese is much better, but like say three years ago when he started, he was just like using basic, you know, just conversation starters and he had no fear of being judged and stuff. So I kind of want to try that too, but I'm also scared of the pain. Ooh. Well, let's let's jump back quickly then. So learning Vietnamese then, that was your lockdown project, was it? Right. I went full in. Before lockdown, I was really putting an effort, effort in quotation marks, but I realized that just taking a one hour class once a week was not going to get me anywhere. I was just losing money. And I try to tell a lot of other learners that you're losing money by just slacking off with it. You need to do it full time for a while. I mean, you don't need to. I mean, you can still try, but you need to be making this your main focus because there are people, you know, little, think about a three year old baby. He doesn't say, I want to open up my ears and listen to English for one hour a week. And then after that, I'm going to close my ears and not listen to any English at all. They're completely surrounded by it. Like it's their entire life. They listen to it, they read it, they see it. And you need to take that mindset. So what I did was taking these five days a week classes, two hours a day, and it was just in the classroom online, just banging them out. And it was really good, actually. Mika Chu, she told me to do that. When I was at my low point of inspiration, and then I'm like, boom, I'm back, baby. Thank you, Mika. So yeah, that is my advice to anyone. See, this is the reason why I don't learn Vietnamese, is because it does take so much effort and time and money. I don't have those things. <laughs> You know, and so it's kind of like, you know, people are like, oh, why don't you learn Vietnamese? Yeah, that's the reason. But my reasons, anyone who's a regular listener, I talk about it a lot, so I try not to go on about it too much. But I never thought it was going to be here for this long. I thought it was going to be a year. Then I thought it was going to be one more year. Then I thought it was going to be one more year. Then I thought we were going to be gone. Then pandemic hit. Suddenly it's six years. Plus, you know, I teach English, so I don't have to learn Vietnamese. No, I'm joking on that. But it's true in terms of like the six years since we've been here, I think of the amount of English that is taught and the level of English here has just increased steadily, which is the goal of the country. So at the same time, like the English here is getting better and better, which de-incentivizes my need to learn English because I live in the heart of Saigon. If I lived in the countryside, maybe different. That is actually one of the biggest things that makes it hard to learn Vietnamese in Vietnam is that when you start speaking Vietnamese, no matter how good you are, and that goes for anyone. I watched, I saw Pukman's video, it was going in the middle of the street, it's like speaking Vietnamese to people, and you need to listen to their response so you can get better at that, you know, that reaction, that muscle memory of like responding. And they will always respond in English because it's just, like they're trying to learn too, you know? So I really, I'm really good at speaking. Well, I, I think I'm good at speaking, but I'm not that good at listening because I never need to. You never, ever need to, you know? So that's kind of like a good, it's a double edged sword that they're getting really good at English. That's been the same for me since the beginning. I mean, it still makes me laugh when you probably have this as well. Even at the most basic level, you walk into a convenience store and you're like, Xin Chao, and they go, hello. 
It's like, stop. I'm like, we just swapped languages. You know? That's kind of just how you got to go with it. <laughs> and it, it has been in the past when I have tried to speak even the tiniest bit. One, they normally can't understand me. So they just start speaking to me in English. And I'm like, fuck. What I wish I had was just like a full, I mean, of course, I can never do this because it's a terrible thing to do. And it would never fit my size. But if I had a full body Vietnamese mask, you know, it's arms, legs, face, and I can just walk to anywhere and speak Vietnamese, and then, then, then they'd maybe respond to me in Vietnamese, but I just have like this big sign on my face that like, hey, it's time to speak some English. And they will never ever speak Vietnamese to me. The first when you said mask, I just thought you meant like, you know, the COVID mask that I'm all wearing. You mean like a bodysuit, right? It's bigger like than a that. Full, like a full yes. Vietnamese bodysuit. I suit. need that full Vietnamese bodysuit. Anyone suit. who's not watching the video right now, go watch the YouTube video. This guy is the size of a fucking bomb. <laughs> He's huge. If you had a Vietnamese bodysuit on, I mean, one, yeah, probably pretty racist. <laughs> Two, they would be so confused, like, who is this guy? What is going on? And then very confused by your Vietnamese as well. Yeah, it was just like, I would just immediately look like a villain on a on a video game. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. like the third boss. <laughs> I would every dog would bark at me. Oh, I'm sorry. See that. I mean you want to be on TV. I think that's your TV skit right there. Like have someone record you just walking down. Yeah, until Twitter gets a hold of it, then I'm done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then you're cancelled, but then at least you'll be famous. Right? You, you know, don't want to be famous. No, no, I mean, well, I don't want to be infamous. infamous you know? Yeah, yeah. And also, if I'm having a really bad day, like I have a really resting bee face, uh, you know, if I'm in the gym and you know, I'm focused, everyone's like, ooh, right, you're so serious today. But like, that's like my face when I'm focusing on something. But like, my neutral face is a smile. Unfortunately, because my, my bottom lip and my jaw is just so heavy, so I can't close my mouth. It's, a, it's really uncomfortable to close my mouth. So if my teeth are always showing, they just assume that I'm happy and smiling, which has gotten me so many friendships. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to try something that I've done with Mika and with Fukmap. And if I remember correctly, I then played the clip on the podcast. So let's see if we can do it on this one. I'm going to play their clip right now. So, em, em, nam, boy, nam, nam, nam. Now I'm going to get you to do what they did in Vietnamese. And this is something I used to do on stage regularly. I haven't done it in so long. I came up with this when I was working with my colleague and friend Le. We were talking about Vietnamese and the tones and how difficult it is. And there's one word. Well, probably several words, but one word with seven different meanings based on the inflection. Okay, so we came up with a sentence using this word, seven different meanings. So I'm going to tell you the word in English, and then you need to translate it into Vietnamese. Okay, let me see if I can remember it because it's been a while. There once was a man called Nam holding five mushrooms for five years lying in bed. Okay, well, I'm not nearly as good as Mika, so we're going to break that down sentence by sentence. Like, give me every comma, so there once was a man. There once was a man. So, ngày xưa, um, đó, một người đàn ông. Oh, một nam. There once was a man called Nam. Uh, tên Nam. You got two names there, right? Man and Nam. Lying in bed, I forgot, I said it in the wrong order. Lying in bed. Nam, uh, Yun. I probably did that one wrong. <laughs> Holding f- 
five mushrooms. I think the man nam nam. For five years. It was like chod nam nam. Put it all together. There was a man called Nam lying in bed holding five mushrooms for five years. Oh my god, you're killing me. Until we were fluent in Vietnamese. No, I'm then trying to get trying to be there, fluent. my guy. <laughs> so, da mot noi danom in nam. Ane nam, ane man, nam, nam. Trong thi ane nam trên gương, no, yung. Jeez. There you go. Alright, good effort, good effort. I tried. <laughs> Let's call me a good old intermediate. <laughs> I think the seven meanings, so Nam, N-A-M, depending on the inflection, can be Oman, the name Nam. Mushroom is like Nam. Holding isn't one of those inflections. There are so many words for the word holding. There's mm. Deo, there's Nam. There, oh wait, That's right, Mang is a lot. In this sense, Carry. It's, it's Nam. Yeah, uh, mushroom Nam. Lying, apparently. Uh, nam. It's like no. when you're, like, if you're in a hospital bed. Right. Okay. <laughs> Very specific. Yeah. Now, lying in bed for five years and five is Nam. Nam, Nam. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just so funny. I've had a student called Nam, and I'm like, hey, five. And he looked at me, like, strangely, and then he started laughing. He's like, I get to do It's like, Nam, 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 Nam. Yeah, yeah, So, that's my, that's my little uh, Vietnamese joke. So, I've not met too many people that have served in the military. You've been in the Air Force for 10 years. Now, the perception of someone in the military is, is not yourself. You're very <laughs> jovial, friendly, funny, outgoing. We're all like this. Because I met you at G.K. Hobson's birthday party and you were just a riot. And that's why I was like, I'm going to get this guy on the podcast. He's a funny ad. And I recently also met someone from the Air Force as well who serves in Korea. He, he I was going to say, drives, flies the Apache helicopters. And he was super cool. And it was because his girlfriend was super liberal. She was a military kid though as well, like her dad was in the military, but she was super liberal and she'd like converted him. So I was surprised when I first met him, he's like, I'm in the military, I was expecting for like, you know, the whole MAGA outburst. And oh, you're thinking like, he was top just, gun boy. Yeah, and he was just like super cool and he was like, she'd convinced him to become like, almost like anti-gun, not anti-gun, but not like pro-gun. Like he was telling us about some of these guys in his unit. They've got, I can't remember the names of them, but he's like, yeah, they've got these guns. And I'm like, it's for my home protection, but it can shoot through like four walls. <laughs> he's like, you know, if you shoot an intruder with this, you're going to shoot four of your neighbors at the same time. Like, this is not home protection. That's the goal, honestly. Like, you can just kill two birds or humans with one stone or bullet. You know what I mean? <laughs> you think that's what they intend to like, fuck my neighbors? <laughs> yeah. If, if I have someone invade my home and shoot him, and hopefully I'll take out my neighbor. At the honestly, same time. you need to get a protractor and just like figure out the correct <laughs> angle to shoot the intruder at. Like, oh, hold on a second. Stand right there. Okay, I'll move over to the wall here. Sorry for the snort there. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, you can edit that out. So, to go back to my question then. So, you're not for me the stereotypical person in the military. Is that correct? Were you non-stereotypical? Or there's lots of people like you? Why did you join the Air Force? Why were you in the military? Honestly, I'm a bit of like a huge stereotype and not stereotypical at all. So yeah, the stereotype is just like a bunch of conservative meatheads. But the thing is, like the military is sort of like how you saw Vietnam. And then when you got to Vietnam, you realized what Vietnam was like. Like, when you see Vietnam in, what, like, a, a movie, like, from 30 years ago, you're just like, oh, okay, they're going to speak in broken English, and everything is, like, not high-tech. But you get here, and the Wi-Fi is better than it was in Wyoming and Texas, and you're just like, hmm, where was I living at, you know? 
But in the military, everyone is so diverse. Because it's like, all right, you just take a lot of people from different backgrounds, they're all 18, 19, 20, and you throw them and have one unified experience. And you're so busy talking about your unified experience, you don't talk about, you know, your background. You don't talk about, like, the politics. You don't talk about, like, any of those things that would divide normal people as civilians, you know? So it was completely crazy, like, the amount of different backgrounds that I met in the first week. Of course, in the first week, you're not allowed to even talk to each other, so you're just a bunch of robots. It is weird. If you ever go back to American basic training, if you walk back and you visit, everyone's just like a bunch of worker bees. They don't talk. They don't look at you. They don't nod. They don't acknowledge your existence because they're so scared not to look up. At least it was back in my day. Now they have cell phones. They're doing TikTok dances in a room. But back in my time, we were just like... But we're so busy doing our own thing, and then you just become brothers and sisters with the people around you. So then, like, a month would go by, and you're like, wait, you're gay? Oh, what, you're conservative? Oh, okay, you're, oh, you know, you're black. <laughs> but I mean, like... <laughs> well, you only just found out you were black after a month. <laughs> yes, yeah, so you're like, whoa. Really dramatic <laughs> They were totally clueless, like, what? But, yeah, you just, you connect on so many other things outside of your political background. And it's like, I think it's the best way to meet people. If everyone served in the military, then, oh, my God, America would be, like, the most unified country. <laughs> Because you realize, like, those guys are monsters, and I, we aren't monsters, and everyone's different because they were raised differently. Like, when I lived in Wyoming, oh, my God, I was like, okay, maybe I do need a gun, because you're in the middle of nowhere, and, like, if you need help, then they're not coming. So I realized, like, okay, maybe I should I should buy a gun, but before this, when I was living in D.C., I was like, there's no reason I'm a gun. I've seen so much gun violence in my time. And you realize that both sides are going to think the other side's a monster, because they're like, why are they going to take this away from me and why are they pushing all this when I don't experience it all? But different sides of America are completely different countries. So, yeah, that's my spiel. Well, there are many countries where you do have to serve in the military, right? Like Korea is one of them. But I, So I don't know if I'd call myself a pacifist. I don't like to label myself anything, but I'm generally a pacifist person. don't believe in violence. don't really see the need to be invading other countries and, and whatnot. But at the same time, I can also understand why it happened when it happens for the right reasons, I can understand the benefits of the military. And when I see people that, you know, they get that, there's a big thing right now about the college education being free and people are like, well, I served in the military and I got it for free. And like, oh, cool, you got to go kill people for free education. But we won't get into all of that. But I see the benefit more than just getting a college education, getting a skill or a trade, learning, um, discipline, fitness, <laughs> military guys obviously very fit. So I see the benefit from that side. But I'm obviously very, <laughs> don't get the point of going and invading other countries and things like that. It's like such a wide spectrum. The military is like so wide. So my job, I was, I didn't have to strangle anybody in the ditch. Like, you know what? I, <laughs> one time I strangled my own coworker. But that's the whole difference. I was deployed, we were deployed in Africa for six months. And oh my God, we get really angry at each other. But we're so close. You know, that's another weird thing about the military is like, you hate your coworkers so much, but you know more about your coworkers than your own family and your old, old friends, you know? It is crazy. Like, there's a guy, I, I'm not going to say his name, didn't like him at all. This John. guy, John, I hate that guy, John. <laughs> but I didn't like him at all. But, yeah. bro, I knew everything about him. I knew about his girlfriend breaking up about him. I knew about his, like, dad dying. I knew about everything he went through that week. And, like, you're just able to comfort people. Even if you're, you hate them, you know exactly what to say, and you know what to do to make them feel better. So that's why you get that brotherhood that you never, ever, I still have never gotten 
anything like, you know, the brotherhood I had in Korea and in Africa, where we were just literally bunked up in a tent together or living in a, one big dormitory, like, together. And it's, it is just completely different social experience. Mm-hmm. And I can see that positive from the military as well. So that's why I find it very conflictive because I generally, at heart, don't agree with it. Right. <laughs> but I can understand it, and I see those benefits in that brotherhood and sisterhood, you know. And it does give you a big depth, like you start thinking differently about your upbringing. I think I grew up thinking, I'm so lucky, like, you know, I I was homeless for a little bit and like financially things were looking bad. But then, you know, went to the military and eventually I went to Africa and then I saw what homelessness looks like out there. And it's a completely different beast. I mean, you might think, oh, homelessness in Vietnam, oh, it looks bad. But then there's a difference, like even actually in... Korea, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, during the Korean War, they made a dish called Song Tong Soup, and it was literally just the trash of the American military, and they would just take our garbage, and they'd stir it up and eat it as a meal, and they called it Song Tong Soup. It's just like American food just mixed up. And then now, we did the same thing in Africa. Like, I didn't want to, but I was a cook in Africa. I worked in a lot of different jobs. Mortuary, cook, fitness is really weird. But I was a cook in my African employment and we would take out the trash. And I was wondering why did we keep the trash all separate by meal? You know, why couldn't we just dump all the food together? And when I took out the trash, the trash cans were empty. And the guy was just waiting for me to take out the trash and just he picked it out of my hands. And then he said, thank you so much. And it would just take all of our trash right over there to like the guard unit that was protecting us. And they would just eat our garbage. And I was like, oh. I'm over complaining about my air-conditioned tent. I'm complaining about my my air-conditioned workspace. And there are people who are protecting us. And then they were eating our trash. I was just like, Jesus. So that that definitely changed my perception. That definitely changed my uh, perception on, you know, what... I don't know. No, I mean... (laughs) Gratefulness. But this is the thing as well. So the stereotype of the military maybe is... The, the guys, the meatheads, I think you use the phrase at the front line, and you know, they're like, mm-hmm. killing people, strangling people, like you said. But then, you know, as you realize, I don't realize when I was younger, but as you get older, you realize that someone was the chef, someone was, there's a lot, a lot, probably more support staff, right? They're just doing, uh, I don't want to say menial tasks, I don't, I can't think of the proper word, but not doing front line killing people mm-hmm. than actually going out and killing people, which they are still part of that machine that is the end goal is to do that. I just, I think the problem with the military is, in a set, like, for me, uh, on this podcast, I just talk off the top of my head. I don't really think about things ahead of time. I, I, I understand why they're there. I understand why they're there for protection. I understand why countries need them. I think just the biggest problem is that, and especially with America over the last few years, when you always going about, oh, we're protecting our freedom. We need freedom. And you're like, you guys are the one invading everyone else. No one's coming to America. It's okay. That's it's so complex. I mean, I of course I'm biased, hugely biased, and of course before and a little bit after the military, I'm like, oh well, that was a big no deal. That was a no no, but you realize, like, say, let's take it back a year or so when Afghanistan fell to the Taliban, everyone was like, where were you guys at? This is terrible. I can't believe Bible let this happen. This is a shame. But it's like it's what you guys wanted, right? Like you know, and at the same time, I don't want to be out there either, and I didn't want to be in Korea during the whole Kim Jong Un. Trump Twitter beef that was crazy. Like Kim Jong, uh, tell us more about that. Oh man, it was, it was fun. It was the funnest time of my life. <laughs> the reason why I have a lot of nervous issues right now. Okay, so basically, um, Donald Trump and Kim Jong Un 
I know, was it him? One of them. Yes, right. I mean, he was, they were engaging in a lot of battles online, and Trump was just saying, like, yo, I got 26,000 troops ready to die in Osan Air Force Base. And I'm just like, sir, <laughs> I am not trying to die for your likes. I, you know what I mean? Like, just to give you a double click? Like, I'm not trying to die for this, my guy? Come on, chill. I don't remember that specific tweet, but oh my goodness. You over- guys reading that on there, like, that's hilarious. Excuse me, what? But that's really what it was. And like every two weeks, we got a missile coming out of the air, and we're just like, and there's those alarms going off, and we're just like, okay, our alarm blue, we're ready to go. We gotta like, you know, get ready for this. And it's like, oh, no death. Go back to work. No death. And we, of course, we just go right to drone kick, you know, because it's like, oh, my life almost ended. You're live. Okay, drone kick. And it just turned into like this loop of just nervousness. Every time you hear an alarm, it's like, and we're learning about these missiles, like on CNN. We're like looking at CNN. And it's like, wait, what? There's missiles in here? Okay, we're not dead. Okay, cool, cool, cool. And it's just like you're always nervous. You're always That's waiting cool. for death to come. But I mean, it didn't. And you just start being grateful for life, and you start realizing what's important. Mm. I've been to not the not DMZ. I've been to Korea and then that line with South Korea, with North Korea. That's crazy. Yes. It's crazy, and it's crazy how chill they are about, you know, the impending death that can happen at any time. It's like, ah, they're just playing. I'm like, yo, you can just die in 40 minutes. Like, just take 40 minutes. Like, just... <laughs> don't, don't tell them that. <laughs> you know, I can believe it as well. I didn't really think about the geography of, like, South Korea. And for anyone listening who maybe hasn't looked at a map, look at a map. They're at the bottom of a peninsula. It's like, you guys are really vulnerable. Right. And so we're just thinking, like, what if we really went America first? And if we said, okay, we're pulling out everywhere, you're going to see a lot of bloodshed and there'll be like insane amounts. So, of course, it, it's bad that we have like an extremely crazy military around the world. But we like how it is here, you know? Like, I love BTS. They're great. I dance with their songs on my, uh, what is that? That VR game? Oh, how am I forgetting it? Oh, up. Just Dance or whatever it's called? No, it's uh, Beat Saber. I love their songs on Beat Saber. And I would hate for us to pull out of South Korea instantly and just be like, oh, you're on your own. You know, it would just be a catastrophe. So, just to get this clear, America is in Korea right now for BTS. Yes. yes. Uh, BTS yeah. Army and the military. Uh, <laughs> I, you didn't see that blog. I guess you didn't see that post. But they're definitely good. So what is the reaction here when you tell people that you have been in the military, especially the US military? So I know, just quick interjection before you answer my question, sorry. We've had AJ Miller on the podcast. If you haven't listened already, go back and listen to it. It's one of the most emotional episodes I've ever, ever done where she's a comedian and she's just one of the funniest people ever. I thought we were just going to have a bit of banter. And I didn't know her story at the time when it turned out her dad had been in the Vietnam War and had died of Agent Orange induced leukemia and she looked after him and she basically come to Vietnam to reconnect with his roots and she had these dog tags and she'd shown people them and she'd just been open she'd just been welcomed with open arms and she was really apprehensive of what would be the reaction when she tells people her dad she as herself the way she describes her dad is he was a killer and I think she called him a murderer. And the first time she said it, I was like, wait, what? And she's like, and then she explained he was in the military. And I was like, oh, okay. But that's how he described himself. But she just had an overwhelming, overwhelmingly positive reaction. So 
I don't want to answer the question for you, but what has been the reaction here when you tell people, because you're more recently in the U.S. military? It, it was odd to me. Like, I actually had all my military uniforms and stuff, and, like, I had a military apron, which is my favorite apron With for you. cooking. No, but I left it at home. I left it at my mom's house. I was thinking, I can't bring this here. They're going to they're gonna throw me in a jail cell. But no, like, it was the complete opposite. They was like, oh, whoa, tell me about it. It's really fun. But that's like for a lot of other veterans here, like I meet them, they immediately see my bald head and big shoulders. I'm like, yeah, you're one of us, aren't you, boy? And so I'm like, yeah, yeah. And they're just having a good old time. They don't have any, they love the country. They came, they left America and they came to Vietnam and said, I don't want to leave this place. And so they just stuck around and they all know that it wasn't the American people. Mm. And it's the same like when I have Russian friends and they tell me about how hard their life is becoming because of the government uh, intervention mm. there. And it's like, it's not the, the people that were the problem. It was just the crazy policies at the time mm. and like the paranoia. And yeah, they, I talked to them actually. Went to a hotel in Moine and it's owned by a Australian veteran that served in the Vietnam War. And he just never left. He loves it. Of course, he can't speak Vietnamese, but he never left. And he loves the place. And How they don't give him any black. I think... 40. See, the thing is, when I first got here, if I heard something like that, I'd be like, what an asshole, 40, you really can't speak Vietnamese. Now I know that was, that's gonna be me. Like, I'm gonna be that person. This is a wormhole. Like, once you go in, you're stuck in here. You can't leave. I actually oh, went to Belgium two months ago, a few months ago, and I realized I cannot leave Vietnam. I'm like, I'm never leaving this place again. I'm never paying more than $14 for a taco. I mean, this is... So this is the thing, right? And so... As I mentioned, any regular listener will know the story. We came here for six weeks, six years later, we're still here. And it's always been extended. We never planned it. Now, finally, at the time, we're like, okay, I don't see myself leaving. I have massive challenges living here. I feel really bad. I get asked, well, you must love it here. And I'm like, no, I hate it. But ask me in 10 minutes, and I'll probably love it. Like, it's, it's so up and down, especially at the moment. And sometimes my wife, you know, she's like, Neil, you can't tell people you hate it here. He asked you, do you like it? And then you're like, no, I hate it. Like, she's like, be more nuanced. I was like, okay, okay, I'll, I'll try and be more nuanced. So anyone listening, I don't hate it yet all the time, but sometimes I do. Yeah. Anyone I really... who's listened to it regularly will know recently I got robbed by a lady boy. And when I tried to report it to the police, they wouldn't let me in the police station because I had shorts on. So I'm still bitter about that. I'm bitter about getting robbed. That's not a nice experience. I'm glad I was robbed via sexual assault and not a sharp weapon or a gun that's a nice thing i guess but i'm still bitter about not being allowed to report a crime because i had shots on in 40 degree heat at midday so that's just a, a brief example then three days later the police lost my wife's paperwork like literally lost it not they wanted more money they lost the paperwork so sorry getting back to my point it's up and down but so i'm at the point now where i'm going to be here probably for a long time and when my wife and I have sat down and talked about it, like, you know, do we want to leave? And we've actually had a friend, same thing, been in Belgium, of all places recently. And we've had friends being all over the world. And some of them have come back to Vietnam. Like, I can't handle not living here. So I'm trying to reconcile with the fact that it is challenging here. There are massive ups and downs. There's a cultural difference. There's a language barrier. There's things that drive you wild. But where else would I go? <laughs> you know, like I lived in New Zealand before here. And New Zealand to me is the best country in the world. Loved it there. I'm not rushing to go back anytime soon. It's cold, it's far away, it's expensive is the problem as well. We got family in America right now, they're messaging being like, this is ridiculously expensive. Like, it's insane. So you just get into this lifestyle here where you're like, I don't think I'm leaving. Right, I think that goes into like being happy with being unproductive. I think 
say if you were in New Zealand, if you weren't in New York or Texas, you would have to be working your butt off, you know, all day trying to get money, making a new company to get more passive income, to do this and do that and do that, and like destroying your 20s and 30s so that you can enjoy your 60s, 70s. But once you get here and you realize, okay, I can just work and then hang out with my friends and then go to sleep and then wake up and do a hobby and then hang out with my friends again and go back to work and da da da, you're just like, okay, I can't go back to that 40 hour work week that I don't think humans were created to do. No, of course not. Well, the other one is when we just had friends visit here from Singapore and they were from the Netherlands. And when they went back, they were like, yeah, all my friends, they like make more money than they ever had before because, you know, they're older, blah, blah, blah. But all they do is they just get a nicer car and a bigger house because all they do is spend time in their house or in their car on the way to work. And like, wow, yeah, that's so true, right? So, like, they're like, they live in Singapore. They got the same jobs as their friends back home. They're like, we go out five nights a week for dinner. We socialize. We're always, and I, I think very similar here in Saigon. Like, I'm out nearly every night of the week, either running one of my events or just out with friends. I have more energy than I've ever had in my life. I talked about this recently on the podcast. Like, I'm just so energetic, and it, it comes from this city, I think. And, yeah, I don't want to go back to that lifestyle where I'm just working so I can get to work. Right. And then come home in my nice house with my big TV and, and walk. Well, when I first got here, I was a minimalist. I was doing really good at that. I was like, oh, I'm going to put all my things into a trash bag. And if I don't pull it out the trash bag because I need it, then it's going to go in the trash. Yes, I'm cool. And I watched YouTube videos that told me to do it. But then I moved down to Vietnam and I started buying comfortable things. And I realized that things, you become a slave to your things. You're not, you don't own your objects. Your objects own you, you know, to pay for that car. You need to work those hours to pay for that couch, that TV. You got to work, 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 work. And then to afford the things that you want to own, you need to be owned by the money system that, you know, lets you buy them. And so, I mean, when I first got here, I'm like, sure, I'm not going to, you know, spend a lot of money on things. But I started spending tons of money on stuff recently. But I realized it's all for a distraction. You know, distract yourself from life, you know, to make the day go by more comfortably. And once I stopped spending all my money on, you know, things, I realized that I could be happy and I don't need to work as much. So I don't need to be as productive as I used to be. It's funny you brought up about the minimalism thing there because I just saw two memes in the last day. One of them was, who are these people doing this minimalist thing? I like my stuff. And I was like, yeah, that's true, right? Like, I like my stuff. I don't want to be a minimalist. And then the other one was, and this made me laugh, it's like, you know, all us adults have that bag of cables that we carry about through our life and we never want to get rid of. Eventually, I was like, I'm getting rid of it. So I threw it away. And a week later, I needed one of those cables. And I have no idea where to buy it from. That is tough. Like, that is the way it is. I think that's how they hold us down, man. You know, big government is holding us down with those tiny cables that is everywhere, you know. I actually have, oh my God, I'm so dumb for this. It was because of, COVID, okay, I moved into a bigger apartment. I was like, okay, yeah, bigger apartment, cool. Cheaper prices. So uh, now I have an entire room dedicated to stuff. I don't even sleep in a room. I don't use the room at all. It's just there for stuff. So I came from minimalist Marquez to... <laughs> was that your Twitter handle? Yeah. Minimalist Marquez. Minimalist Marquez, you know. I got minimalist views and likes on my post. <laughs> um, but yeah, now I'm just like just swimming and stuff. And... Uh, Ah, do I want to give it all up? Like, nah. No, I like my stuff. I like my stuff. Yeah. Man. We got, I got a storage unit in New Zealand that I pay like 150 bucks a month for. You're doing bad. Just full of stuff. 
just got stuffed. It's not good, Niall. Neil. Neil. <laughs> <laughs> I like Niall better, man. Oh, that's not a bad name, but it's just not my name. It's just so good. <laughs> but yeah, I just got a, a locker, a storage unit full of stuff. But it's things like, you know, I've got old journals in there. It's got like paperwork, documents, things that like, I'm not going to throw away. But also, you're rolling your eyes at me. I know, what am I ever going to do with them? Publish them one day? Maybe, I think when I wrote them, I thought, you know, I was a big Jack Kerouac fan when in my 20s. And I even got his book, which is all his letters that he published. He was a prolific writer. And I'm like, yeah, that's going to be me. I'm going to be famous. One day someone's going to study my journals and be like, wow, on August 16th, 2019. Not really, 2019. Emily Carr wrote this. Of course, that's never going to happen. Right. I would be like, wow, this man is very depressed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Put it yeah, in that I pile. opened it one time, this was years and years ago, and I, I got to a random page. And at the time, I was living in Adelaide in South Australia. I was like a backpacker, kind of, and like no money, no direction in life, didn't know what I was doing. But it, it's so funny, I've talked about this quite often recently, how we romanticize the past and think about, oh, that's so amazing. My, my big example is when I lived in New York. Mm-hmm. It was literally... The reality of the situation was it was the worst time of my life. I had like no money. I just got broken up by my girlfriend. I had no job. I had no idea what I was. I was, I was eating onion and lettuce sandwiches. I was that poor. Oh my God. On white bread. It was so, so bad. But you asked me about New York, and I'm like, oh my God, I lived in New York. It was so much fun. I had the best time. I was living it. And I'm like, Neil, do you not remember that thing? You had onion and lettuce. So I had this same thing with Australia. When I opened my journal and read one page, and I was like, how miserable I was walking about Adelaide, not knowing where I was with my life. And I'm like, I think the thing is, when you are busy, you don't think about your life and what you're doing with it. So you're just kind of happier and you're in the moment. I think when I was younger in the military, it's like 50 hour work weeks, you're waking up at four in the morning and you're just spending so much time just doing menial tasks. And you're just like, what am I doing with my life? I hate this. But you're having the best times of your life. Like those memories are crazy and they're fun. And even though like when I talk to like like that same therapist guy, I'm just like, so tell me, like, what, what was traumatic? Like, what was going on? I immediately a big smile goes on my face. I'm like, okay, so these dead bodies, right? So I had to see these dead bodies every day when I was working mortuary. But you realize, like, you know, the hardships is what makes life fun. I Now my life has become very easy, very chill, and I can never, like, I can't be more bored. And, of course, I'm trying to make myself busy mm-hmm. and make myself a little bit more miserable by learning, learning Vietnamese. But, like... I can't get that same satisfaction out of life when I'm, I don't have any, you know, what's it called? New, not boundaries, but new goals, new challenges, you know, to accomplish. And it's not like my life depends on them. These are just challenges I created for myself. It's so, it's a hundred percent true. And it is, I'm trying to remember some famous quote, I don't need the famous quote, but just, yeah, a hundred percent. There was a, before COVID and things like this, you know, I had had quite a good good job here. My wife had a good job. We had full benefits and salaries and, holiday pay and all of this stuff and we, life was good it was so fun and I remember saying to her like we gotta it's not gonna stay like this because I'm 40 you know I know I've lived long enough that like life goes up and down and you have some things that are absolutely amazing and you have some really difficult times as well and pretty much since then it's been difficult <laughs> it's been like really difficult with COVID and that brought along we both kind of lost our jobs and the difficulties just of COVID and we're still recovering from that but you've got to go through these difficult times, right? And then you will look back on them. Because when you get so comfortable, I remember saying that to us, it was so comfortable right now. You're not let that's right, that's what I was thinking. I was talking to a friend as well, and I was like, I'm not learning anything right now because I'm so comfortable. It's so easy right now. Everything in life is good, but I'm not learning. And as soon as it gets difficult, any I, I look back on my life, anytime there's been difficult times in my life, 
kind of learned the most. So I do sometimes have to remind myself, even though life's been difficult for the last three years, probably I've, I've learned so, so much. Right, I think humans are built for problem solving. You know what I mean? Like evolution, you're just like, okay, I need to make a wheel. Okay, how do I make this wheel go faster? Then out of nowhere, you have a Tesla, you know? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But now as this human beings, it's like, oh, okay, so eat, sleep, internet. Funny eat, because sleep, that's kind internet. of our goal, isn't it? We just, that's like what we want. It's just this is what we wanted. It's like, like Wally when we're just all in like one of those floating beds just eating. And, but it's not actually what we want, is it? We right. want something more. So you gotta go climb a mountain or something, you gotta yeah. do a tour de France. Hey, what's that guy? What's the one that Alex Hongold where he climbed up like that cliff face with no equipment? Was? Yeah. What's it? It, that's a documentary, Oscar winning documentary, I can't remember the name off the top of my head. Alex Hongold, I'm sure his name was, climbed up this ridiculous cliff face with no equipment. And I'm just watching going, why? We always make fun of that midlife crisis man, you know? But that is us. <laughs> <laughs> right now. <laughs> yeah, move to Vietnam, right? Move to Vietnam and get, get that really fast bike. I don't, I, but I mean, it's kind of like, but that just is a sign that you did well, you know? I mean, I mean, it, it's it's tough. I mean, I'm trying my best to like grasp it and like realize that, okay, the fun, crazy, chaotic times are over, but I realize that most of the time humans create that chaos and that leads to the depression and anxiety. You know, they have really good times. And we create that chaos. It's just like, oh, I don't want to get married and have three kids yet. No, you know, I got to make something bad happen. So you have motivation to really push forward. But I mean, it's just, if you find a way to be comfortable with being unproductive, then you make your life so much easier, save so much money, and you just don't have to go through these pitfalls. Unless if you invested your money in the last six months. The fuck out of that. <laughs> um, no, so... Quickly tell us about, you said you started a business as well. What's the business? Oh, right. Well, I tried to start a business and multiple times. I have so many ideas. I have a whole Google Notes list of businesses that I wanted to start. And I get talked out of each and every one of them, man. I'm not going to say his name. (laughs) (laughs) But you realize that this is very a difficult place to start a business because, like, the bottom line is a lot lower. And somebody can always do it better than you. They can always just live right above that stall and then copy everything you do and then make it better and so i mean i'm just i guess it's part of like this fear and laziness but i know i can probably succeed in it but it's just always that that little thing that's like holding me back i don't know i don't know what are your ideas for a business without giving it away so that someone listening is going to copy it well this is the most realistic one okay i was going to be the guy that speaks vietnamese really well and then does a twitch and I just like yell at other people in Vietnamese, but I realized that it's really hard to find a Vietnamese server to yell at people in Vietnamese, you know? So every game is just like Singapore and they all know English. So it's the same problem. So it's hard to find that. I could yell at my friends, but no, they're just better at yelling with Vietnamese. The other idea, I wanted to do a little shop because I mean, I'm, I'm a cook. I can basically do like the same kind, we call it jungle cooking where we just like, just throw it all together, just throw sauce and everything, make everything taste good. And I'll just set up a little stand and I'll just speak Vietnamese on the side of the road and I'll just be selling stuff. And that would be funny. It would be different. It would be cool. And then I realized, you know what? I have enough money to not do anything at all. And I'm just going to stare at my screen. <laughs> yeah, that's a problem. That's, that's a problem, problem. guy. So let's uh, finish up with the same questions that I ask everyone at mm-hmm. the end of a Vietnam podcast. So what one reason would you use to persuade someone to come to Vietnam? It's about, I think this is the best place to pursue your hobbies. Like out of any place, I've never actually, I realized that when I lived in America and Europe and Africa and the military, I never pursued my hobbies since I left high school. 
You know, like the, having that time to really look at yourself and like, what used to make me happy? And is it music? Is it this? Is it that? Is it that? And then you just start really getting good at it. And you really have a lot of time to cultivate skills and you can use those skills to leave Vietnam and become worthwhile to someone. Well, that's what this podcast is. I started because I had so much time and then now I produce podcasts for people around the world and make podcasts for people. But we've had this kind of similar answer before. I, I do like to give a bit of a, a disclaimer that it is coming from a place of privilege because we do interview Vietnamese people on here as well. And this podcast is for anyone. That answer, and it's not incorrect, and it's been given before, it just comes from such a place of privilege because we know living in this country that there are so many people that don't have that opportunity to pursue their hobbies. There are plenty of people who are, but then, you know, you're, there are also lots of people who don't. So right. I just like to add that because, you know, I also maybe just spend too much online, but I always know there's someone listening going, but, 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 what about all that? Like, no, they're, they're yeah, completely we know that. right. We know that, though. We know. We're not completely ignorant. And, you know, like, I, I guess living back in America, I was, I felt like I was so unprivileged. And I just, now I realize, like, I had, like, some big opportunities. But then I also see some of my friends now who've used say this area in you know, Saigon as a place that hey I can market myself to a demographic that will pay way more money online so if I can find a career and work online I can bring in those online dollars say I have a few friends that are making more money than me and they're Vietnamese before we would hang out and I pay for the drinks and all that now he's living in like above me in Vin Homes and he has a three bedroom I'm like, you know <laughs> Uh, but it's about you know finding you know a way to get money from these overseas people and bring mm -hmm. it into your country and then live good. Yeah, for sure. And the next question, keeping balance. What one reason would you persuade someone not to come to Vietnam? Not to come to Vietnam. I I gotta say like the sex pats. Those guys are the worst, absolute worst. You think someone shouldn't come to Vietnam just because of the sex pats? Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, a lot of people say like, oh yeah, you know, I can go. I mean, you can find a wife here that is great, and they're they're really nice, comfortable people and good. But you shouldn't come here with the expectation that they're all a monolith and they're all the same. They're all completely different. You're gonna get, you know, you you can't just come here just thinking that. You know, you need to find if you're looking for that, you should like look within yourself and figure out like what am I lacking to push, you know, that need. Mm. I hope this answer is not related to that question. What's a common scam here in Vietnam? Well, I heard those ladyboys that steal your <laughs> yeah, wallet. Well, that, that is a common, apparently it's a common scam. I didn't know that. So after it happened to me, as soon as I told people, they were like, oh yeah, the ladyboys that rob your phone. Yeah, you know, I did get my phone robbed, but I was so drunk, I don't know who did it. <laughs> uh, or I could have just dropped it, I have no idea. But it was on Boy Vin. Mm -hmm. Were you in Boy Vin? No, no, around the corner from my house. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tabian is different, man. Yeah, but that's, I've been here a few years. First time it ever happened. But once, as soon as I told people, they were like, it happened all over Saigon. One person told me they were literally walking into their doorway. They got out of a taxi, got out, were about to walk into the door. And similar thing, girl, lady boy, pulled up on a bike, was like, hey, so what happened? She was like, do you want boom boom? And I was like, no. And then she grabbed me by the balls and she was like, do you want boom boom? And I was like, no. And like pushed her off. And then I went to, like, she drove off on her bike. So I went to, like, text my wife, be like, what the fuck has this happened? And my phone had gone. But after I told other people that, so many stories of the, so that is a common scam here. So if someone comes up to you, another person said they friend got a massage. Like, they came up and like, oh, do you want a massage? And they, like, massaged them a bit. 
things like this. So it's, it, that is almost there. So don't grab your jewels, grab your wallet. Exactly. It's something yeah. that could happen. That's how they disarm you, right? Because obviously your natural reaction is going to be like, what are you doing? And why are you? That's very smart. Why are you? I'm pretty impressed. Yeah, I mean, right. you, you could do anything. You, you, you really got to put yourself out there to do yeah, that. Yeah, I know, right? Well, so what's a common scam that you know apart from that? Hmm, common scam. I've also, I think, this is my friend said. He's been, he lived here for about four years before I got here, and he said like, dude, I never got ripped off. And he looked at me getting ripped off twice on my way into Hanoi and then on my way out of Ho Chi Minh City. But I'd say first off, never take a driver that is not with Grab. Those guys will grab your phone and never let it go. What happened to me is when I first came to Hanoi, I took a ride from a bar. The guy's like, hey, come in, uh, cheap fare. And I gave him the phone that had my address that I couldn't pronounce. And he held onto my phone. And then when I paid him and I got out of the car, I'm like, oh, wait, he has my phone. And I said, hey, sir. And then, like, while my leg was still in the car, he drives, like, full speed off. So I spin. And he drops me off, of course, in the middle of nowhere. Oh. And I walk home with no phone. Yeah, it's pretty tough. And also, of course, the airport thing, the whole visa thing is pretty tough. So when you get the wrong e-visa, you just go to this little jail cell. And then, that. oh, yeah, well, I'm glad I got the discount rate because I immediately started, never mind, I did something um, stereotypical and they gave me a discount, but luckily they didn't think I had the money to afford the bribe, so I got a good barter deal on that. Yeah. It's funny because, you know, and we talked about this just recently with someone, and I kind of mentioned it earlier, you know, I got robbed by someone grabbing my balls rather than having a knife or a gun, right? right. And that, getting sexually assaulted is not technically better, but kind of is. It's a bit less violent. And so it is so safe here in Vietnam. We were just talking to someone this week about what it was like in Thailand and uh, South Africa. They were talking about how dangerous it is. And it's just like, it's so safe here. But there's just this thing with scams. They just have these little scams. Like, and it's not like big things. I, well, well, don't get me wrong. I think they're probably as big scams. I just don't have enough money to be big scams. But there's lots of these little scams that people run, like stealing your phone or, or overcharging you. And I don't think it really happens to me very often either. But I, I, got think- I still got robbed. I'm good at avoiding scams just by being huge. I, <laughs> well, I have nice like time. zero problems anymore. I am the danger, you know. I'm Walter White out here. People are scared <laughs> of me until I start talking to them. Well, kind of following on from that, what's something you hear about Vietnam that's not true? I would say first off that you're, I wouldn't, uh, of course, this is a place, coming from a place of privilege. I don't really leave District 1, Benton, or District 2 that much. But my perception of a third world country is different than what people call when they say Vietnam is a third world country. I'm like, eh. once again, the Wi Fi is really good here <laughs> and it's comfortable. It's not violent. I remember growing up in DC, I would turn on the TV and it'd be like, oh, shooting a blue high school, shooting here, shooting here, shooting there. And then they go to commercial break and then they'll be like, okay, well, more shootings. And <laughs> just like, how many more shootings are they going to have? I've never felt scared for my life out here, you know? And when people think third world country, they're thinking like, ooh, this is bad. And it's just like, you know, just trees or desert everywhere. Like, no, this is a very nice, comfortable place. And everyone is friendly and it can get dangerous, but you better, that's you asking for it. I remember the most dangerous thing I ever saw was like, I think it was like World Cup time or something. There's a bunch of drunk British guys in a bar in Hoi An and they slapped the staff or something. And they, oh my God, like 10 workers came out of nowhere and had cattle prods. You know, like the electricity thing they use on cows? They just- I got warned about that when I first came in. Vietnamese people love weapons. And I've seen it on online videos. They will grab anything and they will use it. Right, but it's not, it's, it's provoked. 
Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, not unprovoked, like just walking about with weapons, it's normally something that has escalated the situation, but yeah, they will grab anything. Right, that's what I realized. Even though I'm really big, this is just like a defensive. This is me, I'm like the American military. All these nukes, these nukes right here, I don't want to ever use them, mm. and I hold them so that people never approach me, because <laughs> yeah. I don't know how to fight. Self-deterrence. Right. deterrence. Now, what question would you ask another guest? Mm, a question I ask another guest. So I would say, mm, how would you make the most of your time here? Even when you become very comfortable and when life gets really nice, since you're an expat and you have that privilege, what will you do to make these years, days, months worth it? And how is it going to change your life for the better? Wow. Okay. Too I, deep. Like, I like that. That's really good. That's got me thinking now. And last question. If Vietnam was a person, how would you describe them? <laughs> All right, so if Vietnam was a person, I'd say Vietnam is skinny for no reason because the food is so good. And they eat so much rice. How are you so small? Yeah, and also I would say uh, they're honest, a very honest person. Speaking of someone who's now able to listen and understand a lot of Vietnamese, and I, which is strange. I thought they'd be talking a lot behind my back, but I realized that they're not, and that was just me being in my own head. So a lot of people on Facebook blogs will say, like, oh, man, they're always talking bad about me on the on the elevator, but I don't understand it, but I kind of understand it. They're really not talking about you. They're just talking about, like, the wheels on the bus go round and round. <laughs> right. The only time I ever got talked about. We'll see you soon on VTV, hopefully, if you can make it, speaking fluent Vietnamese. If this doesn't get me cancelled, then hopefully I'll be up there. <laughs> Cheers. See ya. Thank you for listening to a Vietnam podcast by 7 Million Bikes. Want to give a massive thank you to all the members of the 7 Million Bikes community. This podcast wouldn't exist without your support. It means so much to me and it keeps me going and it keeps me producing episodes for you. So if you are interested in joining the 7 Million Bikes community, the link is in the show notes. You'll get episodes early, you'll get free tickets to comedy shows and quiz nights, and you'll get invites to special member-only events. So if that's something you're interested in, check it out. It really means so much to have your support. We can't produce this show without it. So again, thank you so much to all of our guest hosts this season. Thank you so much to our guests. And thank you to you for listening. Enjoy season nine of a Vietnam podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're like me, you may use your laptop at places where you have to use public Wi-Fi. This opens you up to digital snoopers. It's a massive problem. It can be your internet service provider, or you know who, looking at what you do online or a cyber criminal trying to steal your bank passwords or credit card info, or even a hacker at the next table trying to steal your sensitive data. These days, it is vital that you keep your data safe. NordVPN keeps all of these snoopers away. It makes your internet activity private, protects you from accessing dangerous websites that are fishing for your data, and lets you enjoy your favorite content securely, even while away from home. And it's easy to use, even I could use it. I've actually been using NordVPN for years now here in Vietnam, and I'm excited to be an affiliate partner with them. I've used NordVPN to watch Netflix, BBC, Disney Plus with ease, and I also know that my information and data are safe from prying eyes, whoever they may be. Join now and you'll get 68% off and three months free when you go to my link, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. Just again, for those hard of hearing, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. 
The link is also in the show notes. I know nobody checks them out, but go check that out and you can get the link from wherever you are listening to this podcast. As an affiliate partner, it also means that I will get a small commission when you sign up, but at no extra cost to you. So not only will you be getting a great deal through 7 Million Bikes, you get a great VPN and you'll be supporting 7 Million Bikes podcast. Stay safe online and enjoy the shows you love. Any questions, just let me know. You know how to get in touch with me. And thanks for listening to this show. Cheers.